0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I just um, came back from uh, a trip to the uh, on the East Coast uh, last week, week and a half or so. <clears throat> Spent a little time in uh, in New York City, uh, making their pilgrimage to one of the most revered spots on the planet, the Hayden Planetarium, <clears throat> and the American Museum of Natural History. Spent two different days there. <clears throat> that was that was the start of my my spiritual journey. I used to dragged my parents to the Hayden Planetarium as often as I could and they didn't have many stars in New York but I'd go there and just go wow you know, what is out there what is in here?" Uh, anyway great star show I saw I uh, saw my closest oldest friend um, but the reason why I went out there was to um uh, participate in this uh, conference that <clears throat> was put together that happens oh, every, every so often. The last time was actually ten years ago of um, teachers conference of teachers from all the different traditions from the Theravadan tradition the uh, Zen tradition and the uh, uh, Tibetan tradition. Oh, and as, I, as I'm saying that, I just was reminded, uh, uh, Ajit told me that one of the really um, wonderful Zen teachers, Zen masters, uh, just passed away a couple of days ago. That is uh, Charlotte Joko Beck, um, who wrote Everyday Zen and uh, some other really wonderful books. She, she was the real deal. And uh, I just found out about it for the first time, and actually, it just happened on the 15th. And and what is today? Is the, the 16th. So, actually, before we continue, let's just um, take a moment and to honor and send some loving wishes to this really high, beautiful being, Joko Back, who served so many May you be carried on your journey with all the good deeds you've done and all the love that you've shared and received in your own good heart. So this gathering was of um, about 200 teachers from various traditions some well known you know, famous uh, teachers of renown and, and, and deep wisdom uh, many uh, that I didn't know before there's so many Dharma teachers out there and they're good too a lot of Um, a lot of young teachers there was this whole group the the, uh, next gen group of about 50 uh, younger teachers that 30s, some in their 20s a lot with tattoos or various expressions of being hip and cool Uh, not like some of the older bogeys. Um And it was, um, it was a really beautiful blend of uh, intergenerational Dharma and um, connecting, getting to know each other, uh, looking at the future of Buddhism and, and Dharma in the West and in society. Uh, we spent 3 days together at the Garrison Institute in uh, at upstate New York in Garrison New York <clears throat> as the buddha says that um, the the teachings will survive and survive well as long as there are um, regular assemblies of the elders and of those who um, value the teachings. And if they are done in harmony and um, separated in harmony, then the teachings will thrive. So um, we had this very harmonious, um, harmonious and yet edgy uh, teachings. Edgy in the good sense. It's like, okay, we're really going to get real here with each other. Um, did lots of small groups and some exercises that really um, uh, fostered connection and intimacy and contact and being very authentic with each other, as well as some pretty wonderful teachings. Um, but you know, in, in a group of 200 or so colleagues, or teachers, some of whom are, you know, revered, and some of whom are kind of new, it's, even if you've been practicing 20, 30, or 40, or more years, it's, you're still human, and you come into this place, and you say, gosh, where do I fit in, you know? Who's gonna, who shall I sit with at lunchtime, or... Who's going to speak to me? You know, it's like the first day of camp or high school. You know, it's, and this is—I just kind of seen that, and in, in uh, that was my my practice, a big part of my practice, and uh, kind of we we uh, I'd share it, we talk about it. Uh, you know, a number of people uh, would just kind of say, "Well, what's this like for you?" Well, I, it's kind of interesting, um, and it was really good having that as. Everybody's done so much practice there that uh, it became your practice to just kind of see how can I just come into my true self and be real and authentic and, and connect and let myself be seen and be interested in seeing everybody around. Of course... When you're meeting in silence, when you're just sitting, that helps a lot. That's one of the great connectors. It's a a very intimate thing to share the silence, as we just did here now for 40 minutes. And that's the great equalizer. And then, of course, doing things like dancing together. On the the night before it ended, we were kind of dancing for hours in... uh, uh Oh, what's that? Yeah, all right. What is it? Um and uh you know, when you're rocking out to uh, in a really good sound system to some some very hip cool music and you know you're seeing all these, you know, very esteemed teachers and uh just rocking out uh and, and young young folks who are really rocking out. Um it's um that's a great equalizer you yeah. know so um and we had dharma follies which sometimes uh, we do at the end of the three-month course and uh west did his routine and um just broke everybody up and uh i was asked to play a couple of songs and i i offered a song and then had, had that that Event was closed. We all sang "This Little Light of Mine." I said, "Okay, come on, we're back in camp, so let's just really do it, you know, let your light shine." And that was fun. But um, one of the things that I noticed in in this practice is meeting and being with all of these people. There's so many different facets of seeing who you are, and I was reminded, and then I, I played it a couple of times at home. And as as I was, as I was uh, writing this talk, the song, the old Donovan song, came uh, to my mind, which I then have played about four times since uh, in the last couple of hours. Remember the song "Season of the Witch." He says. uh, when I look out my window, so so many sights I see, and when I look in my window, so many different people to be. That is strange. Sure is strange. And on and on. But that line, so many different people to be, and it got me reflecting and thinking how many different identities we have depending upon who we're with. You know, there you can be hanging out with somebody you know. With hanging out with somebody that you know and just kind of like completely relaxed, completely yourself. Somebody who you want to get to know and it's just a little little tweak of who you are somebody who you've heard of for a long time. Oh, wow. With somebody who is, you know, maybe who's heard of you, who you haven't heard of. And it's like each one you're a different person with. Before I go on, I, I just want to um, maybe invite you to reflect on how this plays out in your own life. So close your eyes for a moment. And uh, let's just do a little uh, internal reflection. Okay. Think of who you are or who you were, if they're no longer alive, when you're with your mother, if you had a mother. Just bring her to your consciousness, and feel her presence, and then feel what it's like inside for you. Maybe it opens you up. Maybe it closes you down. Maybe it can be lots of different ways. Okay. Take a breath. How about your Father, who Are you or were you with your father? Have an image and just feel the energy not only of them, but what it's like inside for you.
1: You Take a breath. How about Being around
0: a child in your life, maybe a niece or a nephew or your own child, if you have, or somebody that you see, maybe from time to time, if there's any children in your life. Bring one to your consciousness and tune in not only to their energy, but who you are around them, what it brings out in you.
2: Take a breath.
0: How about a coworker or somebody that you interact with on a livelihood or professional level? Bring someone to mind. Have a a sense of their essence and who you are around them. What part of you comes out around this person? Take a breath. How about somebody who's a challenge for you? Maybe a neighbor, maybe a relative, maybe a friend who can be a difficult friend. And as you think about them, tune into their essence or just what they are how they are around you, and what they evoke, what they elicit in you. No judgment here. Just to see all the different ways that we are. So many different people to be.
1: Take a breath.
0: And bring to mind a really good friend you have a best friend or a pal. It could be a pet as well. Just bring that being to mind. And as you just even think of them, get in touch with who you are inside, around them.
1: Feel who you are.
0: You can open your eyes. Do you notice a few different people coming out of you? So it's not just, oh well, this is me. There's many aspects of me. And you can point to any one of them and say, oh this is me when each one is a different expression of you depending upon who you're with. As I've said here many times before, I think of us human beings as um, receiver-transmitter energy units just walking around so affected and affecting our environment and depending upon who we're with, a different expression of energy comes. If the energy in your field is comfortable, is welcoming, is friendly, is safe, and you relax, that turns on a particular wavelength of energy. If the energy is kind of scattered or anxious or out of harmony, that can elicit a different kind of energy from you as well. If your energy field is very centered and strong, that can affect others around you as well. It's a, it's a two-way mechanism. But seeing all these different identities, different self-images, whether it's a hero or a victim or a loser or the intellect or the lover or the klutz or the mister or miss cool you know it's always changing. This is a really important thing to see because in that pantheon you can't say oh that's it that's it. I think the closest you can say is when you're completely relaxed and just, and there's not an obstruction of the mind trying to be anyone, when you stop being anyone or trying to be anyone, then something unobstructed comes through, which usually has a a field, an energy field of love and goodness and kindness and awareness. But in a moment, that can be tweaked, obscured. The mind gets in the way, which is part of this mind-body process, and a different flavor of you comes out. Mm. So, if you think of practice as somehow cleaning up your act so that you don't have to deal with the unpleasant of your personality, um, I would suggest you let go of that one. The first time I, I did a three-month retreat, I, I share this at the end of retreats, first time I, I did a long practice period, um, you know, three months, it was really a long time, and, and it was it was a very profound experience for me, and I got really quiet, quieter than I'd ever been before, and it just felt so centered and relaxed and calm inside, and then we had what's called integration week, where you start talking, actually sometimes it's called disintegration week, you know, where you kind of get used to interacting with, with, with others, and as soon as I opened up my mouth, judgment, paranoia, insecurity, and, and I went running to my teacher saying, it didn't work. Uh, thinking that I was somehow going to radically have a personality transplant or exorcism and was reminded in a very loving way, it's not to get rid of any of those parts of yourself. It's just more and more pain. It's just the personality trying to get rid of the personality. But it's about making friends with all of those those parts. So, how do you do that? And uh, I'll share with you not only perhaps some thoughts on how to do that, but a practice that I used during this uh, this conference that was that I've done before, but I was doing it in a very um, in a very specific um, focused way. Taking it on as a practice for these days whenever that those feelings would arise. The the key principle, which uh, we talked about a little bit a few weeks ago when I gave that talk on Atamayata, if you were around, that unconcoctability, that not made up of any substance, of any one thing, basically is um, is talking about non-identification. That is, not taking any one of those aspects of who comes out as the real you, taking ownership of them. So, for instance, you feel small. Identifying with as, oh, I'm so pathetic. I'm such a small person. Or, oh, when am I going to get rid of this smallness? I feel like a, a four-year-old, you know. Ever feel like a four year old? Anyone not ever feel like a four year old? Or, hey, you know, I'm pretty, I've been around the block, I'm pretty cool here, you know. As soon as the I gets in, as the Buddha says, I making is the problem. I making, me making, this is the problem. Look at this cool person is a setup for, look at this pathetic loser. It's just around the corner. (laughs) That's the corollary. Because any kind of taking I, and you're just in that habit of saying, oh, this is who I am. Whether it's yes or no, there's still this I-making. So, to not identify... With how it's coming out, with those thoughts, with those traits, with those reactions, mm. this is where
1: the real freedom is. Actually,
0: hmm. here's a list of a couple of questions. I'm gonna—I'll give you my practice in a in a moment, but. Just uh, just reflect on the various in- identities that you catch yourself assuming during the course of the day. Maybe think about what today was like and the various interactions you had. The identities you might assume with others And the internal identity, even when nobody else is around, the different ways you talk to yourself, who's doing the talking? Is it a loving grandparent? Or is it a a stern taskmaster or scolder? And uh, just notice what might cause you to switch from one identity to another. Just, again, think back to your day or the last few days. And you can probably see the whole cast of characters of who you are. What causes you to change? And how can you use your practice to help loosen the grip of the unskillful ones? There's some skillful identities and some unskillful ones. How do you loosen the grip of your identity, your identifying? Hmm.
1: Actually, before I
0: share my thoughts, I'm, I'm curious. How do you, in your wiser moments, loosen the grip of your identification with those different expressions of yourself? Especially the ones that maybe cause some trouble. What do you do? Here. Being Just being aware. Say here. Hold on a second, uh, and we're we're taping it so pass it on. Thanks. Say a bit more. How does that work for you? Yeah. Put it right up to your. Uh,
2: so. Whoa.
0: <laughs> oh, notice what what's coming up right now. Feel the power. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: Okay, let's try this.
0: <laughs>
2: you are such a powerful person. Yeah. Don't tempt me. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of the old saw of engaged brain before before mouth, right? So if you just react or act without thinking, you're you're not you're not there. You're not with it. It just just happens, and then these personas erupt from within somewhere Mm -hmm. or amygdala or something Mm -hmm. but if i think first and i'm trying to pick up on all the stuff you guys are telling me teaching me (laughs) is to be present and think okay i'm feeling this way is that appropriate Do I have to speak right now? Can I wait a little bit longer? Can I process this a little bit? Can I assess where I'm coming from? What I really want to say? And do I need to say it? And Mm. if I speak mindfully, then those personas that, what was the word you used, are less, Unskillful, skillful okay so yeah being being present and aware i'm letting the more skillful personas emerge Mm -hmm. the less skillful emerge personas seem to be more reactive and the skillful personas seem to be more active
0: okay that's great so the awareness mitigates the reactive reactivity um are there times when you're aware and you're not so reactive, but there's still a persona that that isn't fun that's <laughs> difficult
2: yeah the the insecure mm-hmm. the confused the ignorant
0: and how do you as you're you're speaking for all of us, how do you in your wiser moments deal with that when it's
2: it you're still mindful but it's there? it's really context derived so if i'm in the presence of someone that might be able to help me understand then i'll, I'll question <laughs> i uh i've gotten past that i have to know it all even mm-hmm. though i like to know it all but um i'm totally open to asking questions and admitting that i don't know which i didn't used to do
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, yeah, that's big. So, um, but if if I'm in a situation where I just, I'm not going to get a solution Mm -hmm. at that moment, Mm -hmm. that could be scary, especially if there's pressure to perform, Mm -hmm. either for safety or success. Mm -hmm. But if I can... I try to just let go and make a note to figure it out later, mm-hmm. you know, to research, ask, learn, what have you. So uh, set aside, if possible, I mm-hmm. guess is what I do if I'm up against something that I'm not equipped for. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else?
0: Here. Why don't you, yeah, pass it to you and then we'll go back there.
3: Hi, I'm Jenny. Um, for me, I think uh, what's been great about meditation has been um, the ability to kind of accept that amazingly I'm not perfect. And um, and I've been able to see that a lot of the, the, my less developed skills or what, what was it? Sorry. Unskillful.
0: Unskillful. Yeah. Side mm-hmm.
3: Are so much based in like, things I've been doing since I was a little kid. You know, feelings of insecurity or wanting to be seen or, you know, needing affirmation. And so, uh, learning to kind of see those parts of myself as almost like a child, you know, this childlike mm-hmm. part of myself, mm-hmm. has really helped me learn to kind of develop a sense of humor about those parts of myself when they come up, like, with my partner notices me being really insecure and points it out. At first, I'll be kind of, you know, upset, but then I'm like, okay, oh, hey, yeah, that was me being like a kid, you know, and and that's helped me, having this sort of relationship to that side of myself as this childlike part of me um not in with a judgment like oh and but just like oh you know it's like a child and you've got to love that part of yourself and you've got to laugh and you've got to just be to have a playful relationship and I think that playful relationship with that part of myself I mean I still sometimes get frustrated and I'm you know still act this way or have these needs but that playfulness has really relaxed that um, uh, relax that tension between me mm-hmm. and that part
4: of myself. That's mm-hmm. Be less
0: skillful, I guess. Great, great. So seeing yourself, I I think of of, of us as uh, another way I think of us oh, well, human beings is just little boys and girls in big bodies, you know. Especially when we get confused or frightened, which is what mostly the unskillful stuff uh, is is sourced in. Just little kids just old patterns so bringing a playfulness uh, a humor to it and a compassion sounds like compassion there too understanding uh-huh. great thanks sit all the way in the back here so just uh, why do you stand so you can get raise your hand yeah that's it for you uh-huh. yeah oh. that's it thanks Jenny and why don't you say your name too uh, Ben I, I, yeah.
1: So everything everybody has said so far is, is, applies to me. Um, a couple of examples are, well, one, which is quite, uh, you may think this is a little bizarre, but um, I had a wonderful dog for many, many years. And um, when she was hungry, she's outside on the porch, and she would look into me, look into the room. There's a sliding glass door. And uh, there, it was pure perception coming from her. Mm-hmm. No thinking, nothing, just pure perception. And I was able to identify that in myself. Mm-hmm. And I worked as a psychotherapist and it helped me tremendously because, uh, you know, we're very affected by our, our clients or everybody's affected by everybody else. Mm-hmm. If somebody's under a great deal of distress, we want to do something. We want to immediately help act and so, for quite a number of years in my practice, I would worry about: Am I doing the right thing? What can I do to help? Yeah. Uh, I want to make a difference. And because of my this help that my dog gave me, I could move out of the discursive mind mm-hmm. into just the perceiving mind, mm-hmm. and I didn't have to do anything except if somebody's suicidal. But but I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was be present with this perception, Mm -hmm. which of course is what we're practicing Mm -hmm. anyway, Mm -hmm. getting out of this discursive mind. Mm -hmm. And that then what would need to happen would happen in the therapy. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, confusing at first. Mm -hmm. It was uh, exciting. But over and over again, as I was able to, and of course I'm still working on this, move from the discursive mind into the perceptive mind, which Mm -hmm. is being embodied, in mm-hmm. the body, in the that, the that that the magic of the being present is what was the most helpful thing mm-hmm. to the to the to the client. Mm-hmm.
0: Beautiful, just, just so being present. Yes, yeah. yes.
1: Yeah. So um, that area, and then also when I have my own distress for whatever reason, humor helps tremendously. Mm-hmm. Can you? you know, I say to myself. I, can you believe you're having this feeling right now? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it, what it does is it con, the space contracts. Yeah, and there can be frustration, worry, anger, mm-hmm. rage. There can be all these things. Mm-hmm. So it's just like saying, "Oh, you're, isn't this interesting? You're doing it again." Mm-hmm. And then, but also, if if it's very intense, if I can go right down into my into the horror area and just stay with the breathing Mm -hmm. it does dissipate it does just sort of it it relaxes fairly significantly but the sense of humor about exactly what you were talking about you're in one role i'm uh, you know i'm a i'm a i'm a i'm a therapist i'm a patient i'm a father uh i'm a supervisor uh i'm outside wrestling with my dogs, feeling like I am a dog. Right. It's just like, you know, we're everything.
0: <laughs> so the, and the humor, what you're saying, you said before about the contraction, when we feel contracted, it's uh, it's easy to get caught and stuck in our yeah. stories of thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And the humor or the compassion or seeing like a child is one way to bring about some more space. Yes. Because the space That's is right. what can create that kind of uh, container where we don't identify as as easily okay there's one more there was somebody who had a hand right last one and then I want to go on
4: thank you um uh my name is Wendy and I think um that Ben and and others already touched on this but for me it's very uh what helps me and I, I I was thinking particularly when we were thinking about um you know when we get chipped up and I was thinking about a meeting I was in with one of my clients yesterday, and I realized, uh, of course, after the meeting, (laughs) how small I felt inside. And, you know, it's not anything new. But um, what I had kind of forgotten to do, which generally works for me, is is to get out of my head and get into my body. Mm -hmm. And that just totally interrupts whatever unskillful thing is going on. And to just really feel whatever is happening in my body. And it just really loosens things up and creates the space. And it's it's almost magical, you know, how quickly it shifts what's going on. Mm,
0: Great. Get out of your head and into your body. It's the head that, the spinning wheels that create the problem. Mm -hmm. Great. And I'm sure you... Have your own ways or hope you are have your own ways of of dealing with that contraction in the mind when it when it comes Here's something that that I've found helpful, particularly when it's around interactions. Mm-hmm. It's one thing if you're just internally spinning your wheels or you know you're by yourself and you're giving yourself a hard time and if you can bring a sense of humor or uh, compassion for all the, the conditioning. But particularly when when we're with another person, which is and that's often how it gets activated. How I am in relationships to this other person. And the big question is how I how am I? How am I doing? And as long as you're focusing on how I'm doing, um, you are creating the conditions of either passing or failing your test. How am, I do- am I okay now? Am I not okay now? And if there's any kind of doubt, then chances are, the answer is, that I'm not okay now, to some extent. As long as there's a contraction, there's there's this doubt that I'm enough. Um, I used to, as I've mentioned here before, I was really shy growing up. Um, I had my friends, but meeting new people was really you know was, was not easy and uh, at some point I, um, hmm, a couple of things happened one particular i was just talking about this with with jane uh, yesterday um, i read a book great novel of um the razor's edge Somerset Maugham. Anyone read *Razor's Edge*? And there's this one character, the, the main character in that book, Larry Stallings. I think that was his name. He was from like Chicago in the, uh, in the in the 20s and and uh, high society. And he goes to India, has this transformative experience, comes back, and he's a man of very few words. He's like the old E. F. Hutton commercial, you know. Well, E.F. Hutton says, and everybody wants to hear, right? And he was a very impressive character. He he said so few words, but everybody wanted to hear what he had to say when he said it. And I used to get really shy in that I couldn't be the glib conversationalist that I I wished I would be, and like that. And uh, I remember reading that book and thinking, oh wow. I don't have to be this witty, brilliant conversationalist. I just have to be a good listener. I just have to really check things out and only say something when I have something to say. How radical. I could be like Larry Stallings from Razor's Edge. You know, It was very transformative. But what really, what it slipped for me was that instead of wondering how I'm doing, the key is being really interested in the other person. And it was amazing when I started doing this, people would say, Oh, you're so you're so good to talk to, you know. He's so enjoyable. I was saying a whole lot less, but I was just kind of interested in them, and they were talking more and more, you know. And it started a little practice that I've done off and on for a number of years, and the way I worked on, on this, uh, at this conference, it was like a, was it a couple of parts. First, if you see that you're contracting at all, if you're not at ease, that's a clue that there's some kind of selfing going on, some kind of identification with some part of you that says, am I enough? How am I coming off? How am I doing? What do they think of me? All that. Moi. It's about me inside. Okay, so there's the clue as people so um, well articulated. Oh, to see that this is going on is the first step. Okay, and just to accept and not try to to change anything. Oh, this is what's happening now, and to hold it with either humor or kind awareness or a loving presence, whatever you want to talk about or call it, and accepting and embracing that conditioning. But then to
1: shift the focus
0: from me to... Just being interested in this other person. And when you do, and realize what they want is really your loving presence. That all you need to do is give them your loving presence. If you think that chances are, much of the time, unless you're very easy and comfortable and good friends, They're probably wondering, how am I doing as well? And if you just send them some loving kindness and let them know that they're all right and that they're worthy of your kind awareness, they feel at ease. And you know what happens when they feel at ease? If you can put somebody else at ease because your focus isn't on yourself, if you put them at ease, then it creates an environment of ease. And when they feel at ease, you feel more at ease. So it's kind of like this feedback loop that happens. And what basically, the shift of energy is, from here to hear, and you, it's a great way to practice metta. It's a great ongoing metta practice. You don't have to be saying, you can if you want, may you be happy, may you be peaceful in your heart. But it's ba- basically just finding that metta switch and non verbally communicating. You are worthy of my presence. Hi, hope you're doing well. And then just being interested in them. It's, It's so simple and it's so profound just to switch, shift the focus from what's going on in here to what's going on out there. And if you practice it, you just become this. I'm not saying this is me all, all the time, but there are times where you, you do become like a, a, a little um, a meta field, and everybody wins in that. So just uh, just for a moment, imagine close your eyes and. Uh, bring to mind perhaps that challenging person, the one maybe that you feel small around or defensive around or not completely yourself. And if they're reasonably um, balanced and basically... uh, wanting to be at ease, just imagine or get in touch with the fact that they probably would like to feel okay themselves. And tuning into their okayness, just imagine sending them a little bit of loving kindness or kindness just as we said before, seeing that little kid in them, that frightened little kid that comes out one way or another and distorts the energy. And just imagine being a meta field that wants them to know they're really okay when they're not confused, when they're not frightened. And notice how that feels inside when you are transmitting that to them. When you just have their welfare at heart for a few moments. How it feels inside for you. And how it feels perhaps for them in the field that you create. I'm not saying this can happen 100% of the time, but just notice the difference when you shift it off of you and just as a generative, loving presence. This is why the Buddha talked about metta as being a protection from danger.
1: Specifically, This is how it can work.
0: And then, as you get in touch with that, see that behind it, that love doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to them. It's simply the energy that comes through you when you're not contracted or afraid. That's the energy that wants to come through, unobstructed. And that awakens itself, if it can be met in that other being, belongs to no one and belongs to everyone. Okay, so just have time for maybe a comment or To Any question? Yes, here, why don't you have the microphone, yes. uh, Susanna.
3: and appreciate it and I also um it also brings to me a little bit I think that like maybe a lot of women a lot of my identity for a long time had to do with having that kind of loving presence for other people Mm. and not having any focus on myself Mm. and um it ended up being more like an abandoning of myself mm. for other people. Mm. And um, so it feels like there's a fine line between having a loving presence for self and others mm. and, um, and disempowering oneself and sort of erasing oneself in mm. order to make other people feel safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you very much for, for bringing that up. That's a really good point. And I, I think you're absolutely right. This is not about abandoning yourself. It's it's about actually. What what I find is that when I do get in touch with that place that does really wish the other person well, I'm getting in touch with that place inside that is love. It's so it's, it's it can't be. Uh, you can kind of incline the mind, but if you're abandoning yourself, if you're somehow subjugating yourself, it, it, can't, it can only work for maybe moments, but to really wish that person well doesn't mean to put yourself in a one-down position. It means you're getting, you're getting in touch with a source of something um, much deeper than that, that smallness. And I think if it does feel like that, then it's time to come back and really um, fill the well inside. Uh, and I, I really thank you for bringing that up. Um, yeah, they're both important. Oh one last one over here up yeah. um so like
3: my question. Maybe it's kind of obvious, but it's just like useful in getting over an obsession with someone. Like you're, you know, like yeah, um, you're forcing yourself in a sense to pay more attention to them, but that will kind of open it up somehow, or just like.
0: Well, obsession is usually about wanting something from, and when you don't want anything other than their welfare. It's like you are releasing the grasping. That's the difference between loving kindness and attachment. So, it's a very powerful, if you're obsessed with wanting something, wanting somebody, uh, the, the real antidote would be to just wish them well and not want anything but their happiness, which if you really are if you really care about that person then that's the best field it works for for all concerned because just think about it when somebody wants something from you what's the energy that? what's your reaction usually no thanks a little bit more space and when somebody is wishing you well what's the energy that you respond you're more at ease in their space so on every every level, the more you, the less you want from them, and the more you can just turn it into true kindness, well wishing, um, it, it releases the the pain on each each side. Thank you. Okay, so let's um, let's just close briefly mm. and uh, get in touch with the heart inside that can wish well for ourselves and for others, that doesn't want anything other than goodwill. Because we deserve it. And if the other person is in a place of safety, they will open up to their goodness as well. And send some kind thoughts to yourself. May I feel all the goodness inside and appreciate who I am when I'm not confused. May I feel the love inside and share it well and open to my true nature. And then to send that to everyone, may all be free of fear and confusion. May all feel their goodness and share their love flow. Well. May all open to their true nature. And may our coming here together be a benefit to all beings everywhere. very much. Enjoy the next couple of weeks. Let your light shine. This little light of mine, let your light shine.
2: <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.